0: Hi, my name is Eric. Um, For those of you that don't know me, um, suffering is something I know all too well. January 15, 2009 is a day that I will never forget. Many of my college classmates will just view it as another day in their long college careers, and few would remember that I spent the entire day laying on the tile floor in the bathroom. You would not find me in class, studying in the library, or in the lounge watching a movie with my friends. I was sick. This went from one day to two days, three, four, one week. Unable to retain food that I attempted to digest, I went to the school nurse and was told it must have been just the stomach flu and that things would be okay. By this time, I was dragging myself back to class. I could not afford to miss any other classes or my grades would start to suffer. One week led to two, three, four waking up from sleepless nights, dragging myself to class, laying back in bed, attempting to write papers and studies for exams, trying to rest and get a little food into my system, if it would let me. I started to frequent the nurse's office. Nearly every day, by this point, searching for answers or at least an idea of what was going on. Control was something I almost always had to have to feel safe. With this, I had control. No control. I was not safe. After around the first month mark, the nurse and I decided that testing was needed. So off to the medical clinic, I went. After an examination, check on blood pressure and heart rate, I was dismissed. They said I was fine. I was so mad because I knew that there was something wrong. On the weekends, I started to return home, hoping that common and comforting setting would help with feeling better, but it didn't. The next month, this grueling routine continued, including my birthday. I watched my dorm floor eat the cake my mom had provided while I sat there, afraid that if, even if I touched it, it would come right back. This was extremely hard, mostly because I knew normalcy was out of the window at this point, and I really like cake. <laughs> Soon after I went back to the clinic, assuring myself I wouldn't leave until more tests were done and forward progress was made. There was blood drawn, and I hate needles, and an EKG was done. EKG came back normal, and about a week later, the blood work was negative as well. I was fed up. I wanted answers. I wanted to know why I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. If I wasn't dragging myself to class, I was either in bed or back on that tile floor. I was frustrated and mad and at my breaking point. I didn't know why this was happening, what was causing it, how it could be fixed, or what God was thinking. Doubts grew toward modern medicine and towards God. I searched scripture for answers and stumbled upon Psalms 69, 1-3. Save me, O God, for the waters come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim waiting for my God. Where was my God? I had lost 14 pounds. I was mentally and emotionally preparing for my funeral.
1: We've been looking at these sketches of the Messiah during this Advent season, and we've looked at um, the Holy One of Israel, this, this conquering royal figure. And we've looked at the Emmanuel, the God with us, um, who can, can understand us, who is present with us. And, and on Christmas Eve, we'll look at the Messiah as a mighty God and a conquering king that would bring peace and justice. But oftentimes, even when we're searching for peace and justice, we don't feel like we've seen it. Even what some of us wrote about our excitement, um, Watching my son, Christmas Eve dinner, um, excited to be with my family, 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 Christmas morning, watch others open their gifts, um, enjoy being with my family. This is the first Christmas without my dad who passed in such a short time. Seeing extended family, being alone, paying bills, being without my kids. The Christmas tradition's changing. Sadness in my family. Money. My mom is not here. Wrapping gifts. Changing traditions. I'm, not, I'm, I'm sad to ha- not have my dad around this Christmas. First Christmas without him. Overscheduling. Overspending. Family. And all of a sudden we see... That this holiday is not just excitement. And, and in those moments, even when we hear Eric's story, Eric's starting to doubt God and crying out to God. And, and Eric wasn't sitting on the bathroom floor because he was doing what a lot of college students do on a Friday night or a Saturday night. He was following God, he was obeying God, and yet he was suffering and maybe you come into this Christmas season and you have just this little bit of doubt. Like, why, God, if you're so just, why do you allow so much injustice to happen? But really, to find that answer, we've got to turn and look at the prophets, specifically this prophet that we've studied for a couple weeks, Isaiah. And so if you have your Bible, it's kind of in the middle. It's a really big book. And in, in the middle of Isaiah from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 55 we get this this new picture of the messiah and it's this picture of the people of god in exile and so, when I talk about in exile, I'm talking about banishment, kicking someone out of their home country. I actually didn't make this up. I might be stretching it a little, but not really. This morning, my son went into my daughter's rooms, and they're like, you are expelled. You're banished from our room. You can't come in anymore. And, and Luke's like, Dad, what does banishment mean? <laughs> and I'm like, actually, it means exile. We're going to talk about it this morning. And he's like, oh, um, He wasn't that excited about it, but if you've gotten in a fight in in college, if you've gotten in a fight with your roommate, all of a sudden it can feel like exile. And um, if you have had doubts in your vocation, um, whether that be school or whether that be work, like, do I really want to do this with my life, Um, you can feel like you're in exile. If you've gone through a divorce, it can feel like exile. Even if you're at odds with someone you care about, really, life can feel like exile. And for God's people, the Jews, they were literally in exile. Like, Assyria had come in and wiped out the northern kingdom, and they were scattered, and they, Assyria, this country, repopulated the area with new people, other ethnic groups. And so Israel as a nation, and Israel as an ethnic group, ceased to exist. So they were, they were scattered and crushed and and basically wiped out. And then soon after, Babylon came and wiped out the next country, and then Babylon came in and wiped out this, the, the nation of Judah, God's remaining people, and crushed them, destroyed their temple, destroyed their hometown. And, and the people of God are sitting there wondering, okay, wait, wait, wait. If, if, if Yahweh, if the one true God, the God that we follow, like if he's so good and so righteous, then, then why are we in exile? And over and over, that's the question that this, uh, this prophet Isaiah is trying to answer from chapters 40 to 55. And, and maybe you've asked yourself in a manner of speaking, maybe you've kind of asked that question before. Um, God, if you're, so, if you're so good and you're so righteous, then, then why, why am I in exile? Like Eric, if, if God, if I've given you my life and I've trusted you, then why am I in so much pain? Um, Others have said before, God, I I believe you provided for me to get into this particular school. Why did the money run out after two years? Um, God, how could you be good and I lose my mom one month before I get married? God, we've, we made our vows. You were our witness that we were going to honor you in our marriage, so why do we feel like strangers? God, I, I've, I've given you my life. I've trusted you with my friendships. Why do I feel completely alone? It's, it's exile. And I, I don't think it's too far off to go all the way back to the beginning of the story to answer this question. And, and regardless of creation or evolution or any of the science, if you just read the story in Genesis for what it is, these two people that get the names Adam and Eve, they, they're in this garden, this place where it's all good. And all of a sudden they are banished. They're exiled. They're expelled from the garden. And they might be thinking, God, why? 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 Did we have to leave this place? And, and if we know the story, then, then we know they're banished because they disobeyed God. They, they were kicked out because they sinned. They did the one thing that they weren't supposed to do. God had said, this is all good. If the, if the Bible was, was acts of a play, okay, um, act one would be creation. And God creates and it's all good. And he says, here's, here's the place I'm going to have. I'm going to provide for you. You're going to be in in relationship with me, you can talk to me. It says in the story that God walked with them in the garden. They got to talk to him at every moment. It says that that the man and the woman, these creatures, they they had nothing between them. It says, in a manner of speaking, they were naked and they felt no shame. So they had oneness with each other and oneness with God, and it was great. And he said, oh, this one thing. Like, don't eat from this one tree, because you only know good, and then you'll know evil. And they, they did that. And so Act 2 is, this, is called the fall, or it's, it's called um, sin. It's called where brokenness enters the story. And if you think about, if you read the story in, in Genesis 2 and 3, now oneness has been destroyed. So now the people are broken with themselves. They feel self-conscious. They try to cover themselves up with leaves. Um, they have a broken relationship with God, They go and hide from God. They have a broken relationship with each other. They start to control and rule over each other. And then they have a broken relationship with creation. So God says, you know, you're going to work the ground and it's not going to produce anything but weeds. And so everything's kind of fallen apart. And in in one sense, to really understand why God would allow injustice in in his world— Um, goes back to this question of suffering, which goes all the way back to the first story in Genesis 3. And that brings us to this third act. So if we got one act, creation, we got second act, sin or fall or however you want to say that. And then the third act is this restoration or redemption that starts in Genesis 12 and goes all the way to Revelation 20. And so if you have a Bible, just go ahead and go to the front because the first book is Genesis, and then go ahead and go to the back, because the last book is Revelation, and you just flip a couple chapters in for the end, and 12 chapters over, and you come up with like 94.7% of the Bible, all statistics, 87% of statistics are made up on the spot, Um, (laughs) approximately. That much, like almost the entire Bible is this story of redemption. It's this story of God trying to bring his people back to himself, try to heal this brokenness, try to heal like all those places that we see over there that are blue and green and pink. All the non-yellow are, are where God is trying to fix that. And then, and then the fourth act, the last part, is this new creation where heaven and earth will be, will be back under God that it will rain, that everything will be great. But, but if we look at, and if we just skip to Act 4, okay. if we just go, oh, it's broken, so then I need to trust God, and I know that has something to do with Jesus, and then we're good. Then we miss, like I said, 94.7% of the scripture. And it's this story about God using a people to bring that restoration back together. And so what happens when we skip that is we think then suffering is just about me, my problems, my pain, and, and we're cutting out that story of, of this community. Because God went to the story and he, he went to this person, sorry, Abraham. And he said, Abraham, you're going to be this people. And, and you're, I'm going to bless you. Uh, I think it's on the screen, but... Sorry, that was my fault. In Genesis 12, it's, God is speaking to this guy Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a community, if you will. And I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. So it wasn't just something for, for Abraham to hoard. It was something for Abraham to share. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will treat those with contempt. And all the families of earth will be blessed through you. So God is saying in this act three, in this redemption story, God is saying, I'm not just going to fix it. I'm not just going to just flip a switch. I'm not just going to make it right like that. I'm going to use these people to fix the situation. Now think about that because if we really look at this, this is where we find the answer to suffering, This is where we find the answer to how can a just God allow an unjust world. This is a big question. This is a lot of reason that people have a hard time understanding what we would call the Christian faith. It's pretty huge. And yet, it goes to this place right here is where it starts. Where it's more than just me and my problems and my pain. But instead, it's God making this promise or this covenant with a person that would become a community to, to restore what was started, which was, these humans will be my image bearers in the likeness of God he created them, male and female he created them. They will be my image bearers and they will rule wisely over my creation. That's what he started with. That was his intention. That is still his goal. The only problem is, That that his image bearers, even the people that he chose, Abraham being the first, were part of the problem. If you read the story in Genesis, God says, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you. The nations are gonna be awesome, like they'll be blessed through you. And he's like, Yes. And then just a few verses later, the story goes, and they there's a famine. He goes to Egypt, and is this your wife? Oh no, 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 that's not my wife. She's my sister. Like I you know he just starts lying and and then his grandson Jacob, he deceives his brother for the birthright, and so now the the promised person is a deceiver and then a few stories later, we get this guy named Moses and moses i 'm going to bring you to lead the people out of Egypt, and Moses murders someone and then runs away from it and then a much longer story after that. King David, the, the, the number one king, the man after God's own heart, he definitely loves God. He just loves other people's wives too. And so uh, I thought about that for a long time. Uh, and so even, even the chosen king, even the best king, gets it wrong. He's part of the problem. His son Solomon builds a beautiful temple for God, but then he goes and worships other gods too. And and over and over and over, the nation of God splits and becomes two nations, and they both get it so wrong. They do immoral things. They worship other gods. They both end up in exile. Did you remember hearing it as a kid? How many times do I have to tell you I heard it a lot. And and that's what this writer is getting at. In Isaiah 42, Isaiah is saying, "Um, who is blind as my people, my servant Israel? Who is as deaf as my messenger? Who is as blind as my chosen people, the servant of the Lord? You see, and recognize what is right, but refuse to act on it. You hear with your ears, but you don't really listen. God is saying, Israel, how many times do I have to tell you? This was the deal. I made a perfect world with everything in oneness, everything good. And, and the first image bearers messed it up. And I Went in, got my hands dirty, and, and started to clean up the situation. I started redeeming and restoring. I chose you, Abraham, and your nation to show the community, to show the world what it looked like to be in relationship with me. And how many times do I have to tell you, you keep getting it wrong? Over and over and over, God says this. Over and over in Isaiah, he references my servant, meaning the nation of Israel. And yet, collectively, These people were not getting the job done. And what we find out in the story is they can't get it done until the job's done for them. In Isaiah 52, all of a sudden, Isaiah switches from speaking of the servant as a group of people to the servant as one person. And it says in Isaiah 53, it says, My servant will prosper. He will be exalted, kind of like a king. Many will be amazed when, we, when they see him, but his face will be so disfigured he will hardly seem human. From his appearance, no one would scarcely know as a man. Something is going to be wrong in the story. The, the king will suddenly suffer. And, and people that were reading this at the time would remember in, in Babylonia, the king had to go up to the old ancient god Marduk, and the high priest of Marduk would bring the king up once a year, and the king would go up and he would literally have a, a ring in his face and be pulled by the, the priest. I know. See? You should listen, right? And um, my daughter thinks I'm boring. And so he would pull he'd pull the, the king up by by this nose ring or this earring, and then he would literally start hitting the king's face until he became disfigured as to proclaim the king's innocence to this ancient god Marduk. So when they're reading this, they're having that weird Babylonian reference and trying to figure out what this means. But he says, he will startle many nations and the kings will stand speechless in his presence. He will, he will for they will see what he has not been told. They will understand what they have not heard about. So he is the kind of royal person that will be above all these other nations. And then he then he continues in in 53. He says who's believed our message the Lord has revealed his powerful arm my servant grew up like a tender shoot like a root in dry ground there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance nothing to attract us to him. So he's trying to present in kind of poetic language that this this king would come out of this chosen royal line of David that the song Emmanuel, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, talks about. But then he goes a different way. He talks about this suffering. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. Now now catch this. Catch the we and the he. The we and the he that'll come back here. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried and our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for our sin, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all, and it goes to verse 8. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared if he died without descendants. His life was cut short in midstream. He was struck down for the rebellion of his people. When we start to look at suffering, we start to wonder why awful, unjust things happen when God is supposed to be a God of justice. We find out that that injustice is a part of the world because humans are broken and we're a part of the problem. So we know in Isaiah that God's people were unfaithful. They failed. They followed other gods. They were scattered because they had removed the one true God from his place of number one and they'd kind of put him in the corner or they just removed him altogether. The nation of Israel forgot that that their purpose was to show the other nations what a relationship with God looked like and they they forgot about that. And so if we fast forward into our lives, is it all that different? Don't some of us struggle with being broken? Don't some of us try to hide stuff? It, how many of us have gone to a party? Rhetorical question, unless you want to participate. But how many of us have gone to a holiday party and we've had to put on the mask that everything's okay? Because inside there's something that's still broken. And then someone walks up to us who's also put the mask on. Oh, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Oh, me too. You excited for the holidays? Oh, yeah. Because we don't want to admit that there's this piece of us us that's broken. So we're part of the problem. But sometimes we're not. Sometimes we haven't done anything wrong. Sometimes we're not the one who is in grave sin, as some people like to call it. But we find out the second reason that suffering happens in this Injustice happens in this just world is because suffering, and I want to get this right, suffering is the price of redemption. Suffering is the price of salvation. Israel, remember I said they failed, they couldn't do it over and over. How many times do I have to tell you? God was righteous. God wanted his, his chosen people to be righteous and they couldn't get it right. And so, since God was holy, and this is where I think we miss it. We think justice just means, like, right and wrong, the scales need to equal out. Um, They call it the yin and the yang in the Eastern world. And we think justice is about yin and yang, about people who do wrong should get punished, and people who do right should be blessed. And, And part of us just wants that, I'll call it the bottom shelf, of justice. We just kind of want God to make it right, but our definition of right is that, that good and evil somehow balance out. And in God's mind, He is He's like, that's nowhere close. You're down here. I want all of my goodness to be redeemed. I want it to come back to this place where where we, God and people, are in a relationship that's right and you are in a relationship that's right with yourself, that you don't have to walk around broken and masked and self-conscious. I want you to have oneness between each other, that you can be vulnerable with people and not have to worry about getting hurt or being broken. And, and I want there to be harmony with creation. I want you to go back to the original spot of being the image bearer of God to rightly rule the world. That's the thing that God is trying to restore. And so he's not just interested in this good and evil, getting it right. So what does he do? He goes to set it right. And to answer the story of why there would be injustice if God is just is, is partly the wrong question until you bring in this point of God in a person. God coming as this suffering servant to save the people from their sin, to make the world right. And we see that in Matthew 1. When an angel appears to Joseph, and he says, Joseph, just relax. God is coming to Mary. God has come to Mary. And the child that she will bear is of the Holy Spirit. And this child, you are to name him Jesus. Because he will save the people from their sins. And so in this story that the prophet is talking about, He is giving this example of this suffering servant, this this nation of Israel in a person who we know as Jesus. To To become human, God was willing to get his hands dirty. He was willing to walk in our footsteps. He was willing to give up his own godly rights and become human. And then he was willing to suffer and suffer and suffer and die. Because God wanted to redeem everything that was broken, not just the little piece of me and not just the little piece of right and wrong. Everything. So when we look at the answer to suffering and injustice, we look at the answer to all that. We look at the answer to Eric being sick. We have to look at it through the lens of God who becomes human, who takes on everything the world, every broken thing, every sin, and dies for it to make it whole.
0: Thankfully, my story does not end where I left off. I had doubted what God was doing but he brought, brought me back into his understanding. At school, there was a week-long call for 24-hour prayer coverage for the school, community, nation, and the world. Even though I was still deeply questioning God and searching for answers, I signed up for a late-night time slot, nor did I most likely would still be awake. It was there in the prayer room in the middle of a dark, vacant college campus that I knew things would be okay. God's grace was made present to me. I did not know how things would improve, or even if they would, but I knew God was in charge, and that he was to be trusted. He had led numerous others, and didn't let them down, and he wouldn't start now. God's sovereignty over the situation had my fears and anxiety eased. They would still pop up every once in a while, but I knew he was in control. And I forgot my journal, so detour. Um, I have an entry from that night that I was able to scavenge up um, that I think encompasses this a lot better. Um, This is the day the Lord has made. Lord, I give up my worries, fears, and strains that are wearing me down. I will find rest in you, for you alone can improve this. Please give me strength to make it through this. Four months after all this began, on April 10th, I went to the specialist and finally found out what was wrong. I was poisoning myself. I had seven food allergies that were found, built up so much inside my body that my body was continually rejecting everything I ate because it couldn't handle anymore. Just like the sin that builds up in our lives and my life, it had come to such a point that I could not handle any more of this poison. I will forever remember this day, For two reasons. One, because it was my mom's birthday. And two, because it was Good Friday. This fact was not lost on me. The suffering I was going through led me to think how significant that day back in history truly was, and how I needed to continue to trust in God who reigns over all. Although there were answers, it was not easy. There were 12 pills a day to help cleanse my body and brain of these toxins. I had to learn to swallow pills for the first time. School ended better that spring and ended up getting a job uh, as a camp counselor, only to have to leave halfway through the summer. I tried getting back into shape for my second year of soccer, but after a few health relapses, I had to leave the team and school. But God was still there, and while I was angry and confused about what was next, God provided. Within a short while, I got accepted into an online program at a Christian university, and as I was literally carrying the last of my things out to my car, Rob called me, asked me if I wanted to sit down and talk about this thing called restoration. Without this illness, I wouldn't be here today, Without this illness, I would not have found another joy in my life of coaching soccer. And most importantly, without this illness, I would not have this story to glorify God. Thanks,
1: Eric. What about you? Maybe not everybody has a I almost died story, but... I know some of your stories, and I know that there's pain and brokenness in them. And when you're in those moments of suffering, or you're in a place of exile, do you look at this story of the God who came in flesh, who came in a human, who lived, who loved, who suffered, who died, who trusted in all the ways that we couldn't? So if you're in a place of of doubt or exile right now, just ask yourself, is it, is it because I'm not trusting God? The nation of Israel wasn't trusting God. Is it, is it because I'm putting my trust in something else? The nation of Israel was putting their trust in other gods. Is it because possibly you've lost your purpose? The nation of Israel had a purpose to glorify, to show the world what a relationship with God looks like. As people who love Jesus, our purpose is to show the world what Jesus looks like, regardless of if we use words, which is why it's so cool that our friends from Westview are here, um, because we have been showing what a picture of Jesus looks like. And if you failed over and over and over and over again in your life, then take courage, because the story is for us who fail. The nation failed over and over and over. And what do we find out from the story? That it's not about our goodness and it's not about our performance. It's about God's grace, his love, his redemption, and his restoration. Let's pray. God, in these moments where we we look up and see just as many things that we're excited about as things that we're nervous or scared or sad about we we just acknowledge that you are here we acknowledge those verses that that Eric shared even when trouble is up to our neck and we think we're going to drown in it, that you're present. Even when we doubt and wonder why injustice still is in the world, even after you've come, Jesus, we, we look to you and we say, the story's not over yet. God, some of us are in a place where we are doubting, we're not trusting. Some of us are in a place where we are we might not literally have an idol carved out of wood, but we are putting our hope, our worth, maybe even our worship into something that is not you. And so, God, at this time, we just pause to say whatever we need to say to you, knowing that, that, our, that our restoration, our redemption, is not based on our efforts, but it's based on your grace. So right now, God, we just ask for that grace. And just a few days before Christmas, God, we look to the person of Jesus, the true Emmanuel, the one who is, who was, and is, and is to come, God with us. And we say, Jesus, restore me. Redeem me. Thank you that it's not about If I get it right or not. But it's what you did and what you gave. Help me to trust and obey. God, help me this Christmas to show the world that I come in contact with what you are truly like. What it means to be right with you and one with you and with others and with the world. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the story. We thank you for the truth that you came to die for us. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas. Amen.